Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of going out, finding strange new worlds, finding strange new people filled with all kinds of troubles and challenges, and finding out it's none of your blankety-blank business. Yeah. Bunch of guidelines, but not quite rules. Exactly. Rules are meant to be broken, or at least to... Bend until they scream. That's a horrend- that was a horrendously bad uh, Kirk invitation, too. <laughs> what was that, Kirk? <laughs> well, that's what you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right. Uh, welcome to the TriTech Games podcast. Um, this week, we are talking about the Star Trek Prime Directive. Now, we don't really care about the Star Trek universe. Not really, because we're doing, you know, fringeworthy in TriTech Games. But... We uh, and a lot of times we brought up in the past that IDET, the interdimensional exploration teams, the IDA, the interdimensional uh, uh, agency, you know, they don't have a prime directive, as uh, we said. Okay, they do have some guidelines, as in um, they have to follow the UN um, rules for humane behavior and and treatment of, of indigenous pe- people and things like that. They're already part of the UN charter, but there's no thing like a prime directive as exists in Star Trek. So what we wanted to do was say, okay, let's look at that prime directive and ask ourselves, can it be applied to Fringeworthy? And if it did, what would what would it be like? Um, and if it can't be applied to Fringeworthy, why not? The whole thing about the, the Prime Directive is you're not supposed to be changing their culture in any way, which is to give them something better. They have to figure it out for themselves. It sounds like, except for a lot of, of, of very small things, you're basically having to go totally native. You have to find a, a, a niche in society that you would match, and you basically blend into it to the best of your ability. You're, you're basically there as a sponge, just to listen, to see, um, possi- possibly record in some way. That's where you might want some hidden things, like if you had a if you if the portal wasn't anywhere near, but you were able to broadcast, you might like just you know have some kind of device that looked like an elaborate metal headband, but it actually was an electronic device that could send, had a microphone and could just send streaming stuff off to some recorder somewhere because you wouldn't be able to write anything because nobody in your status knows how to write or read. 
The good thing, of course, is that the the the, the portal is giving you the ability to read and write. So that would that would be helpful at least to be able to learn things. But I, you know, you wouldn't be able to give the medicine. You wouldn't be able to treat anybody who was injured unless, of course, you knew that they could do that. You know, you'd have to spend a a long period of time, I would think, just learning the limitations of the society that you're in before you can go ahead and say, well, now I know I can do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, one thought, another way of saying the elaborate headdress, you have this god you brought with you, this stone god you carved. It's actually fake stone because inside's a transmitter. And you pray to your god in, in your special little language. Who would know? Uh, I don't know, <laughs> and and that would be fine. I mean, so you're you're saying that you uh, and so this sounds to me like you're saying that you would bring some kind of transmitter that was that was inside of some object, and you take the chance that somebody would be able would find it because you think that that's really important to carry along with you. The same thing with the headset. If someone breaks the headset; it definitely is not going to break like a metal headset. It's going to break like a piece of technology. Why wouldn't it break like a metal headset? What if you want, why don't you make it out of metal? Yeah, but the, 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 the transmitter part's not going to be made out of metal. It's going to be circuitry and crap like that. Which is going to look like other pieces of metal. Yeah. Or it's going to look like, or it's going to look like pieces of horn or something. I mean, I think you can, you can fake it out pretty good, John. I mean, well, I'm, I'm just pointing out that someone's personal God is much more taboo to steal than someone's neat little uh, bronze heads, uh, head headband. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's fine. But it all, but my, the headband hopefully doesn't, doesn't insult the local religion either, which your little personal God might. Yeah, or might not, or, you know, unless of course you're, you, you've got an object that matches the local religion. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Cause there's, there's certain styles, style, yeah, st- stylized depictions and so forth. And if you don't get it right, you don't got it right. But I like your idea, John. I like the idea of putting, I mean, carrying around some kind of an idol that, that represents a religion that you believe in or somebody believes in. You saw somewhere and you fashioned it and you put a, you put a microphone and a transmitter inside of it so that, you know, it'll go and send signals off to a recorder. So you can, as you're doing your exploration, you can pass some information on because it's really a bad thing for a team to go through and they all, they spend three months and then they get killed for some reason. And there's no information whatsoever because they never were able to come back and report. Yeah. Of course, everything's in, Oh, we, we went down to the river and saw some people who were busy cutting down trees. And we helped them cut down the, you know, things like that in a sing-song voice. Uh, Why? That's your report. Because, because you're praying? Is that yeah, the idea? You're, yeah, you're praying. Uh, and basically, uh, okay, uh, okay. And depending yeah. on the culture, you may, not have the, you may not have the privacy to make, you know, the, to make the secret transmission unless you make sure. Unless you, you know. You're the person sure. no one talks to because you always stand office and you go out in the middle of the desert and do something weird. Yeah, but I'm pretty darn sure, John, that you wouldn't be talking about going down the river to cut down trees. You'd be saying is, so-and-so is the mayor of this town. He, you know, he's easily bribed with um, you know, alcohol. I mean, things that would be tactically useful to anybody else who followed you. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they have a really strong need you know, of of um, of Strong, stronger metals that you know are still within the bronze category. I mean, just things like that that 
anybody who would follow up after you would it would help them do a better job. They wouldn't have to spend the three months that you did learning stuff. That's true. You you say things. Yeah, we've traveled another day westward with the with the with the trader so and so, and and if he hears his name, oh, I'm praying praying for your for your good fortune and your trading mission to my God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So he might might get an extra cookie, you know, an extra swig of something at dinner, you know. Maybe 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 a little less beating if if they he's decided that you're really under him. So the question is. Uh, that I would consider that means there's a certain kind of hmm, it'd be. I wonder if that would be a kind of training you receive, or maybe advanced training you receive back in back in the uh, Alice Springs. That is okay. We're going to teach you some skills that you can use uh, that aren't high tech. We're you know basically because uh, uh, like you said, you need to fit a niche. Okay, um, I'm a computer programmer. I write. I, I write for a living. I know how to cook. I have a basic idea, basic concept of, of, of brewing and so forth. So I would end up being the brewer for the, for, for the group, uh, you know, based on what's there. But you may have some people who don't have, you know, the guy who was a, who, who worked in Ford Motor Company for most of his life. And then he's now fringe worthy. His skills are drinking beer and building cars. Right. So he should learn how to be a potter, pottery, ceramics, you know, that kind of stuff, they require lots and lots of people to do things. They have lots of niche jobs. You know, it's very low tech and you can find and you can find work pretty much everywhere if you have, you know, a, a high enough level of, of skill in something like that. You know, and so and and like I say, it's very it's very transparent to most cultures. Uh, something having to do with pottery and, and throwing clay in one way or another. Yeah, and there's so many different ways of making pots that do not re- involve a wheel, but they all give you nice round pots. Right, but it doesn't have to be a pot. It could also be like a flat piece of uh, of ceramic, which can be part of a window or part of a floor or any, anything else. So, you know, I mean, you, I'm just saying is that the, the, the ability to work with that kind of stuff is, you know, it could be a tile on a roof. Uh, you know, it's a lot more flexibility to working in ceramics and pottery than just making pots. Yeah. And being willing to listen to the, the locals to say, well, no, 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 no. You're not putting enough straw in that or you're not putting the right stuff in your clay mix. Listen to them because that's the way they do it. Don't do it your way. Do it. You know, if they, if you tell you you're doing it wrong, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, you really because <laughs> if you do it your way. That means it's because you learn from a higher culture. If you do it your way and try and impress upon them, you're breaking the prime directive in a way. Right. Okay. So, but, but let, okay. So now let's just like turn our, our minds just for a moment over to the actual Star Trek show where they've got the prime directive, but no matter what the culture is on the planet they go to, they all show up wearing the Star Trek uniforms. <laughs> Not all of them. Okay. There's at least one. All, well, yeah. Yes, they do. Movies. Yes, they do. Especially in the original Not series. No, no, they didn't. Not with the uh, Klingons and the locals in the Flintlocks. They show up in, in native gear. McCoy beamed down in, in, in full. You mean gear. like one episode? Yeah, one episode, yeah. <laughs> one episode, they actually put on robe. And Riker showed up, and Riker was going undercover on a world. In, in That was the original. That wasn't the original and, series. Next gen, yeah. But the point stands is that they had they don't always go down full obvious not from here uniform. Usually they do though. 
Yeah. And, okay. and yeah. they usually carry with them their communicators. And they carry with them their uh, senses and well, you know what they're dealing with there in the original series. Yeah, anyway. the, well, the original series they didn't have the sensors that they could sit there and pick from orbit. Oh, we're looking at a person on the street. Yeah, that's what the average guy seems to be wearing. Okay, have the quartermaster whip up six uniforms for an away team. They didn't have that in the original series, no. so they just came down and then finagled their way into local clothing. Oh, we'll get it from here, or we'll knock this guy out and take his yeah. clothing or whatever. In the Star Trek series, they were constantly going to worlds and and, and being complete fish out of water. <laughs> but hey, it's okay, you know, because you know the, my my friend here, you know, you nosed his ears, you know, he he was he had an accident with a automatic she, rice threshing machine. Picker, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm even sitting there going, watching this as a kid, you know, I I didn't see it first round. I'm like, I'm like 11, and I'm going really. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how dumb do you think people are? And even Spock's point. Even Spock gave them that look, like, what? <laughs> oh, and Landrew. I think they also came down dressed appropriately for Landrew uh, the, the, with the computer. All right, what was that, Josie? But, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm saying that's one of the times that they actually wore, like, a robe over themselves. Wait a minute, Josie, what? Uh, the, uh, I was going to say, when you can make Spock look at you, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, you done did something wrong. What? <laughs> yeah, the new Spock does that a lot more than the old Spock. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm talking old spot. Yeah, if you Nimoy. Can make, if you can make Nimoy look at you and and lose that, like you just did. Yeah, the, give you a look just like the, what? The eyebrow goes up. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 not not the eyebrow. The eyebrow is a common thing. It's just the complete. Are you serious? You just told anybody him that. else would be yelling at you. Yeah. Okay. The only reason he's not is because he's I, him. And he immediately turned around and then and then went with it. Yeah, he figured, I have no other option at this point. Well, uh, no one's going to believe you're a man from the moon. So, you know, yeah. any explanation is probably going to have to be acceptable. Okay, Bruce, I think there's one thing that we can honestly say after the now hour and a half we've been doing this episode. Doing this type of Fringeworthy with a prime directive that you absolutely need every single member of a, of a team, explore, first contact or the secondary exploration, there is one thing essential that all of them need. And I'm going to put it in game terms. Ranks in the bluff skill. Whatever system you're doing, you need to learn to be able to lie your you-know-what off with spectacular flair game system provides you with stunts or edges or you know special feats take them you're gonna need them <laughs> because you're gonna need the one thing you're gonna be doing the most is just lying your butt off that's right i agree with you high charisma yeah. scores are <laughs> necessary all right yeah. and, and and of course in order to be able to do this okay that also means that you have to do what we talked about which was that i that basically except for the worlds that are considered part of <laughs> the alien core, whatever, they're locking down every portal because if they don't lock down every portal, they can't keep all the fringe walkers and uh, other people from basically walking in and doing whatever they want to and spilling the beans, basically. 
Yeah, or or taken advantage of. I mean, you know, you, you can't maintain the prime directive if you allow other people to go and mess around on your plot. But wait, Bruce, the Federation did let people go around and spill the beans and 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 you know, basically if you unless you work for a Starfleet or or part of the Federation government, you didn't have to follow the prime directive. Yeah, John brought this up before. Yeah. Prime Directive only applies to Starfleet officers. If a normal Federation citizen were to go to that planet, technically, by the letter of the law, he is not bound by the Prime Directive. This okay. is something else that came up in my yes. in my yeah. campaign. You're you're right, but I mean, IDET is going to want if they're if they're taking this to something that they want to do, then they're going to have to do everything they can to keep it from being ruined by people just wandering on to the to the world and, as I said, spilling the beans. So well, they're going to have to lock down the portals whenever they're not using them. Oh yeah. Uh, on the other hand, they're not really interfering with. They're not interfering with the other people. Who someone are who, someone who uh, wanders I, I, in and and uh, uh, and basically else, trades technology with them? If someone else, if two different species happen to interact through the fringe paths because they've found it sometime after Idets visited them, that's that's their own problem, isn't it? No, it, it's. It's it's basically an outside agency coming in and and interfering with the natural quote quote natural it's development not, of that society. But it's it, not it, connected it, to IDET. Right, but I'm saying I IDET. If, if, if IDET wants to do this, the only way to actually achieve their goals the, of being non-invasive uh, is to make sure that other people can't do it either. Okay, uh, uh, remember, Bruce... I don't... Okay, la, let me explain. Yeah, just feel, free, feel free to disagree with me. Well, Bruce, yeah, let, me, let me... I need to fill Josie in on something. I don't know if okay. she's remembered this. Remember, our fringe-worthy campaigns, I've never run in... Oh, we're from Earth Prime. We, well, it's always been native. Josie, there is certain nations on Earth Prime. They're known as UFNEC, the Unaligned Friend Nation Economic... Or something. <laughs> but it's all... Chile, African Socialist Alliance, oh, and they okay. have a portal so they can go out. Yeah. At, there's one under Easter Island. So they can go out and basically they're competitors with IDET, sometimes violently. Okay. So, yeah. so they can come in on a world and try to screw over IDET's hard work. So they have to lock it down they, if only they to keep would, those out. Especially yeah. if, they, if, if they're looking to... If they are looking to protect that area for some reason, yes. Yeah, that's what Bruce is getting at. People I, like I get the that, ASA. Okay, you didn't actually tell me about this Uffneck thing. Well, yeah, I might have mentioned it, but it was just to remind you. No. Um, that's that's UNITA. That's their policy. The Erders would go, oh, that's really nice what you've done there. We want to go to this world. Unlock. And now you get to play the game of lock unlock between the between the various fringe cultures that we've contacted and they and they're using and they're out there using it. They're going, what you know, what the bloody heck are you doing locking these things, lad? Unlock. Well, there are uh, already people that are part of the um, uh, of the alien corps uh, who are basically laying claim to worlds, 
And the uh, Victorians are a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, and they'll show up and say, and they're imperialists. They're colonialists. They show up. They don't bloody care. Oh, like the Romans and the Victorians. Yeah. So no, but but the, the point is they're telling Idet, you can't go to this world, which means that Idet has the same right, therefore, to go and say, yeah, but you can't go to these worlds because we, you know, we're locking these places down because we need to protect their culture. The only world that actually ever applied to was the Victorian 2 world on the Earth Prime platform. And I think that's something that, that Richard came up with to keep people off it. But, you know, I keep looking at it, I keep looking at it going, it's more like, no, 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 if you go there, we come along too. Not, you go there by yourself, we want something along with you when you go there. So it's not like, it's not like it's... I never interpreted it that way. Yeah, well, ha- having run with with, with, with Victorian characters, with actually Victorian characters and characters from Earth Prime, th- that's the way they worked it out. They worked out that, yeah, okay, if you go there, we go there. Well, that's the way you did it. I always saw it as a prohibition saying, this is, they're us. You know, we're, so therefore, we're going to be the ones making the contact. We're the ones who can make the decisions to what they learn, what they don't learn. You know, you guys just stay out. This is our, this is our piece. And I did said, fine, fine. You know, we, we want to be, you know, we're, and, but I'm saying later on is there's going to be a tit for tat going on with that. Oh yeah, there's gonna be yeah, there's, there's gonna going be world. They're gonna be there's more than enough worlds that everybody in the alien core, the heirs, the golden horde, all of them. It, they can find somewhere. I'm sure. Right, uh, I'm right. sure it would work somehow. Then right. they may ask for information, and in that case, it's going to be what's the term I'm looking for here? Professional courtesy. Let's say the Pax Romana want to see. Well, what is this world that the Earth Primers? or whatever they would call the Earth Primers, their particular term for them. What is it that the Primers want to see that's so interesting about this world? United would say, okay, these are the things that we have found out. We are trying to be secret. Don't go in being all Roman Empire and trying to take them over. This is a low-key operation we're doing. If you go into the world that we have already taken as one we want to explore... We ask that you do so on the lowdown. And I think that would just be professional courtesy among the Earth Primers and the Victorians and the Romans and the Erders and the Norlanders and the Golden Horde. They would have to come up with some type of compact. Compact? Um, yeah. Agreement. Yeah, you're right. Seems, okay, if we are on a world that you guys, any of you that have already had contact with we have to abide by the rules that your world explores by and if unita earth prime has this prime directive going then by this compact that all these human races have made they have to go in incognito as best as possible and if for some reason they can't then yeah it's like you you can't you aren't blending in it's not happening Unless we do some major work on you, you're not going to fit in, and you just, yeah. So I see the various members of uh, of the Alien Corps, the, the fledgling Commonwealth, basically going out there and just putting dibs on various worlds and saying, well, you know, we want to explore these, and we're we're going to set the rules on how to explore these worlds because we're just as good as you are. You want to have your non-interference thing? Fine. You 
those are the worlds that you chose. You could, you know, you you can protect them. But these other ones, they're ours, and we're gonna yeah, do exactly. And so yeah. I'm just saying, there's gonna be a whole like uh, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be like you know, every year it's gonna be like the football you know draft <laughs> where they're they're gonna no, be no, like I'm, Bruce, you're you're familiar with the comedian Eddie Izzard? Yeah. Okay, his whole his whole routine on flags. You explore this world. Do you have a flag? We have a flag. Therefore, you can't explore. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I see that. Happen. Now, the thing the thing is, of course, if you look at all the initial world initial French cultures, they all were accidents, pretty much. They were basically a French team screwed up, and they and they discovered the the uh, that they, you know, there's alternate worlds out there, and that some of the people are fringe worthy. Uh, so already knew it ahead of time, like like the, the zeal. The zeal already knew there was something on the other side of that of the portal because they're all fringe worthy. Well, remember at one time there were more than one portal. Yeah, yeah, the priesthood. Yeah, the priesthood was you know they're all fringe worthy, and others didn't. You know, and you know, and like Petromana was supposedly I think a uh, accident. Uh, it was an accident. Yeah, the Mongols was an accident. Uh, right. We ran into the we ran into the Victorians on on the on a platform. And they were already out there six months right. before we were, so they kind of had home court advantage a little bit. Yeah, we we discovered it by accident too, you know. But you also have I would see I can see interactions with Pax Romana on the same node as the Erders. The Erders are more or less treating the Pax Romanas as um, maybe a, as a source of cheap muscle. You know, we provide you with with all these neat weapons we can make that that, that those folks are there on the on United Nations Earth or Earth Prime, whatever you want to call it, aren't going to sell you, but we'll sell you them, and you just provide guards for our for our explorers. Okay, what is the Erders technology level? Oh God, yeah, nineteen fifties tech to Romans. Oh, that's a frightening thought, John. Fourteen hundreds. I thought it was fifteen. No, no, that's no, you're thinking. No, you're thinking of the other. Uh, is the Romans? The Romans are in the 1400s. Yes, and they do have muskets, and they do have. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So when we talk the about Erders, the the Erders yeah. are what are 1950s, but we're saying that, but they're trade, but they're trading with the Pax Romana. That's a that's a 1400 technology level. Even then. Muskets to automatic weapons, a Roman legionnaire who basically has an M16 or an AK-47. Yeah, that's a frightening thought. Yeah, they wouldn't have to build that uh, that, that big wall up there in uh, in Britain. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're, they're, yeah, basically, since they conquered most of Europe, except for the northern countries, there's no wall there. I was just... Uh, just making a reference, John, to our own history. Okay. Yeah, but, but you know, also I would imagine, you know, nineteen uh, fifties. Yeah, there were some machine guns, but mostly there still were rifles. So, but you know, and Roman Leg- and the Roman legionnaires are more used to using their muskets. Dude, yeah. the Tommy gun was out in the twenties. What was that? The Thompson submachine gun was in the twenties, and, and it weighed five to six pounds. And if you put the drum on it, weighed ten pounds. So what? It worked. And the Romans and the Romans were not small people. Remember, they were probably they were at one time one of the greatest fighting forces on the planet. But remember, the Erders can carry twenty percent more mass and weight. Well, then they just scale it down. It's like, oh yeah, you're not as heavy. The Erders are going to sell them what they got. They're not going to make special Roman versions. So of course, the Romans are going to have to learn how to handle the the extra kick that the that the Erder weapons have. That's fine. You know, you can you can learn to deal with it. I mean, you know. Well, it's balancing on the on the shoulder of a slave. Yeah, 
Wow. <laughs> you lost me. Come That's here. what they're for, Trav. <laughs> but uh, actually, no, the Romans never used slaves as frontline troops. They Oh, come on, John. Oh, jeez. Anyway, anyway. Anyway, but yeah, but yeah, there you have trade. You, and I imagine whoever's to the um, was it west or east? You know, basically, uh, uh, basically away from Earth Prime, but past the Victorians, they're gonna any other French cultures there. They're gonna they might be, treat them also similarly. That oh, we can provide you with some special gear, old chap. You know, things that you that will work in your world. That you know, and so and so forth. And yeah, so we so you also have these. Folks, I imagine Patrick Manon's, they're, um, they're fringe worthy. They're not really going to be mostly, they're not, they're going to be all legionnaires. That, that goes without saying, but then, but they won't go, but they won't be legionnaires, i.e., they weren't legionnaires before they were found out to be fringe worthy. Oh, no, they'll go through legionnaire training and then be sent out on the fringes. Yeah. But they'll have other skills, and you may actually have some, have some special, like the first one that, that came out, at least I, I came up. Uh, for them is uh, he was a, he, going back to beer again. He was a brewer, you know. You now now he's a, he, he and then he became a amb- later became ambassador, you know, and so forth. But still, uh, I can see them looking at trade because you know trade's really important to Rome. Okay, John. Um, I would see actually these not well. Let, how can I put this? Non legionnaire legionnaires. These Johnny Come Latelys. Uh, are you familiar? I believe they're called the Frutinari. I think that's term. their name. Ba- basically, they were the Roman Secret Service. They were more spies than soldiers. Yes. As a matter of fact, John, I think this it's in your um, uh, Babs of Londinium. Oh, yes. The, the Vigil Knox. The Night Watch. Well, well basically, okay. In the Maze World campaign that my friend Gina and I came up with, and Josie remembers this character, Polonius, he was of the Frutinari. He was, yeah, he was a full-on legionnaire, but also he was essentially a spy. Oh yeah, that's that goes without and saying. He yes. did massive amounts of research on this. He surprised me. So yeah, a lot of these Johnny Come Lately legionnaires that the Pax Romana would have exploring their worlds would be considered frutinari because they are not sol- soldiers first and foremost. They are Romans who have since been trained for legionnaire status, so that means they have the fighting skills. But they are the ones more inclined to be able to blend in on these other cultures to explore worlds for the empire. Oh yeah, I, I'd imagine there there would be it, the 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 vigil nocturne request. Uh, we want this one and that one, and we'll give them back to you in about two years. And then and then basically they're going to be agents for the vigils nox on other worlds, especially in worlds where the where Romans have an interest. Because that's where it's actually most important. They're not worried about. You know, are we trading with them? No, we don't worry about them. Then we worry about the ones we're trading with. We want to know what's going on. Oh yeah, you know the guys we send to Erd for for physical training because well, it's more gravity and they'll buff up a little bit more on that world for physical. Oh yeah, training. it's like what one point two G on Erd. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, a Roman legionnaire training on that. Oh yeah. That's like these. That's like these female swimmers that. They're prat- they're underwater, holding their breath, holding a boulder bigger than a football, and they're running along the sand on the bottom, and you see them running underwater. Yeah, that's a good good gravity training too. But yeah, Roman legionnaire on one point two G. Oh, wow! They definitely will put on some muscle mass. 
Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. And but but also some of them will be vigil knocks because because Romans have interests on Erd. So yeah, they'll be there, you know, drinking with their drinking buddies and so forth, and you know, and uh, trying to find out more about what's going on in Earth. And yeah, I imagine back on Earth Prime, they'll be, you know, in the ambassador's uh, uh, entourage, there'll be at least one or two vigil knocks. Their purpose there is to get more info and more intel on Earth Prime, especially the better tech. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I don't doubt for a second, John, that all of these various human fringe cultures have people and all they're doing is spying for their home world. I don't doubt that at all. And even if the fringe were the if, if, if Unita had this prime directive as opposed to, hey, let's uplift everybody we meet because we want to get them all up to our level, which is pretty much how Unita is. If they were to adopt this non-interference policy, they which, would still... What? Which, on some cases, they honestly should, because what you're saying, what they do, and what I've looked at in the thingy, Bob, or whatchamacallit... Yeah, we call it a PDF, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I get the PDF part of something. Yeah, the, 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 the charter, yeah. Yeah, that thingy. Okay, yeah, you I've, saw that. I looked at that and it's like, okay. Oh no, this is this not. Is oh common no. sense as to how they're supposed to act. Right. How do you actually handle dealing with these other cultures that don't say much of anything? Well, no, no, this, That's this, like, yeah, this no, whole. No, sometimes you have to adopt the non-interference thing, especially when it would just when when you could just tell. It would cause way too many problems. Well, on one of those lower, okay, there were the three paragraphs. Okay, this is what we do. This is what we never should do. And the consequences of the, if we do the things we shouldn't, this is what would happen. Those three lines at the bottom. One of those ones Slides. and the second one was something along the lines of uh, interfering with one faction against another on a world, let's say there are two rival factions and we help one over the other. We're involving ourselves in local politics. It says right there in the charter, we're not supposed to be doing that. So technically, that yeah, is there. one no, of, yeah, yeah, she's looking it up now. But yeah, folks, basically, that's the, that is a prime directive thing. We don't get involved in civil war politics, inter-faction affairs. IDET already does that, and it's on... Uh, it's in the first one. It's in the first part. Okay, I knew, I knew it was on the page it, somewhere. It, it's in the first one, impartial thing. Yeah. Being impartial, basically that. Yeah. That's one of We'll make the same exception that they made for it. That is, uh, let me look it up, and that one, that is the uh, infections with each other... Ome uh, not Mega Glory, but the one where the Klingons were providing weapons to the uh, to locals, and they had to turn around and provide weapons to the other locals. So, so if the ASA, if the ASA is provi are providing, say, some machine guns to uh, this to this one faction, well, we're going to have to put, su supply some machine guns to the other faction just to keep things balanced. Well, yeah, yeah the balance but of power. I understand that, and yeah. also, yeah, we already know that the Chileans are doing everything that they can to undermine. Right any type of Unita operation just so they can get an upper hand. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with the prime directive. Yeah, well, 
they've had to do the balance of power in Star Trek. I mean, right, they did do that, but I'm just saying they had nothing to do with the prime directive that the, the, the Klingons were already violating the prime directive by supporting one side over the other. And they just came in and decide came in and decided to support the other side to try to make the balance of terror happen. And, uh, but that was, they were both basically a violation of the prime directive because they should have just left these people alone to work it out on their own. Well, the Klingons have no prime directive. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. This is what happens whenever you have groups that where one of them upholds it and the other one doesn't. That's why I said the only way that this could work would be if you were locking down portals, if you, if you were adopting this idea that you wanted to have a prime directive. Right. Oh, I, I understand that because um, in the Star Trek game I ran, Oz, Perky God's husband, he played the Klingon cadet that was with these group of cadets that crash-landed on this medieval world. Oh, no, he played a Klingon for a reason. He That's his race. He likes them. He actually speaks a little bit of Klingon. He studied it. And he said, you know what the Klingon Prime directed? You come in and you conquer the world. You don't care about their tech level. Nope. You make it a subject race. <laughs> That's what they. That's a, that. That's the Klingon Prime Directive. That they become the, part of the Empire. The, the, you make them part of the Empire. Yeah, and you get to rise with the Klingons, yet still be below us. You get to ride on our coattails. I w- I will make a point of that episode in question that Kirk did initially try to find a peaceful way out of it while providing weapons. Oh yeah, you know, but unfortunately he and, and, yeah, but in the end he had to do it. Yeah, yeah he, I think he tried to destroy the Klingon weapons. Let's bring this back to Earth Prime, okay? Because that's basically almost all campaigns are are, are usually IDEP people, okay? So I'm going to go back to the our, our, the original reason that you guys are going out there, and that and it's not for exploration. I mean, yes, to a certain extent, everybody wants to go out there and explore, but the main reason that the, the UN and everybody else is behind IDEP and the IDA is because they're hoping to find something out there that's going to transform the world in a good way. So they're usually looking for high tech. You know, or they're looking for some bioengineering, some some cancer drugs, some anything that basically you know some thing that'll eat oil spills, you know something that'll make Earth better. So you're going out there looking for this stuff, all right. And so when you go out there to worlds, I, I'm I'm wondering whether it's even possible. I mean, you know, it, it, you're you're looking for basic cultures that are more advanced. Than Earth technologically, okay, and but that doesn't does uh, ignore you know the fact that you still might not want to interfere with their culture and stuff. My question is is that by you going and trying to follow your own major goals, is it possible for you to uphold a prime directive, or is it just going to get in the way of what you really are there to do? I think it would end up getting in the way because of the fact if you are looking for, okay, because we know inference-worthy Earth Prime population is pushing the boundaries of the resources. We're having problems with all that. Technology can't keep up. When the fringe paths were found, that's when IDETs were formed. It's like, okay, we need to look for tech to help us deal with, you know, our Earth being in peril ecological distress. If we're looking for high tech, 
yeah, after a while, we're going to have to let ourselves be known. Playing with a prime directive might be good as a start and then let them know later. I mean, coming in, I mean, pretty much the, the mindset of Fringeworthy, we're coming right off the bat and saying, I mean, we might adopt a prime directive on a world where we see, okay, this would be massive. Let's say you have an anthropologist on the team. Yeah, this might be a culture shock if we come in as we were. We might want to disguise ourselves and then let her ingratiate ourselves into the culture slowly. But in the end, yeah, using a prime directive all the time, I think would cause more trouble than it's worth. It Because we're trying to find tech and other things in order for us to save Earth Prime. And there's a reason why you'd go to some of these lower tech worlds. There are lost uh, herbs and so forth. Like uh, there's one called Sylphium. Sylphium was a natural contraceptive. It was it basically it worked so well, they, they, it was harvested to an extinction. But if you can find surviving plants, that might actually help a bit. But here's a totally natural way of, you know, uh, providing birth control. You know, things like that. Which would be fantastic for Earth Prime because it's a population explosion. There's a problem. Yes. Right. Also, so that would be a good place where you could, in fact, try to enforce the Prime Directive because you'd be mostly just going around looking for things that are missing on Earth Prime, you know, that are that have disappeared and just looking for it so you can go and take it and harvest it yourself. Take samples, you know, breeding amounts or whatever, and take it back to the portal and just leave everything else alone. I could see that. Yeah, you come back with a couple of pot, planted pots of the growing plant. I mean, you know, that would be the, be the easiest way of doing it because you keep a live plant. So, But yeah, I understand. Yeah, you, you find things. And, and also in worlds that are close but not close enough, you might actually find new um, antibiotics. You might find stuff that, you know, uh, it's it, the biology here is slightly different, but otherwise it's er, it's er, it's normal physics and normal you know so things will work, and you might find there's some mushrooms that are anti-cancer drugs if properly processed, things like that you know. But see, are you gonna? Uh, I mean, if it's something something like you like a drug that you can go and find the formula and then bring it back to Earth Prime and then reproduce it, that's great. But I mean, uh, you know, we're also talking about. You know, there's a time crunch. There, there really is because the people on Earth are hurting. There's, there's problems. Okay, you know, where's the choice? Where are you going to draw the line? Are you going to say, okay, fine, it's going to take us? You know, we got this drug. You know, and it's going to take us like five years to ramp up, um, you know, drug, you know, production so that we can actually provide this drug on a world scale. Okay, uh, or are you going to say, hey, big pharma? On this world, we'd like, you know, uh, 10 million units of your, this particular antibiotic. We will pay you in whatever you want it. Oh, who are we? We're IDET. <laughs> We're from another world. We can prove it because, and we want it now. Okay. And where, you know, where are you going to draw a line? Where are you going to say, hey, it's okay for those. The, the, to, to prolong the suffering of people on earth while you maintain the prime directive on this world, or are you just going to basically say, okay, now's the time to basically make this all obvious 
and just go, I mean, at least to the powers that be. I mean, it can be a state secret. Okay. As long, you know, but then go and 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 get this stuff over to Earth where it's needed and set up some kind of a trade to pay for it. It'd be best if if they could, where Earth's providing something and they're selling it over there on that world in exchange, you know, so that there's a you know trade thing going on and we're not just pouring all the money out of Fort Knox to pay for these drugs or whatever. Yeah, that, that does mean every time you find an abandoned Termelon trade world. It's Tomb Raider time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, literally, it literally is. You're going to hit every building you can. I'm sorry. This is where you go back home and say, we need to send every team to this to this place because we, we need to scrape it Pick to the ground. It's clean. Yeah. Yeah. If you're thinking of the of the best possible scenario, yeah, you walk through and you've got robots basically offering things at all these different levels of tech. Okay, um, finding stuff that's like left behind, or you know, it may not, it may be too high tech for us to reproduce. It's great stuff, but it doesn't actually necessarily help us in our immediate need back on Earth. I would think that that would probably come more from a a society that's slightly advanced on ours that has the ability to explain the, you know, explain it to me, Lucy, you know, and, uh, and, and set <laughs> stuff up so they can provide us with the materials and the resource we came there to get in quantity. Yeah. I mean, worst case scenario, you get, you get, you get some sort of uh, some sort of black box machine. They sell you that will produce everything for a while. Then you need a, then you need the special widget from their world to make more of the thing you need. Yeah. You know. Like a chem pack or something. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah. or just a code, you know, you know, it, it, you got to buy the DLC. In my campaign, they basically traded with one of these trade worlds. They came in, they says, we really want these dock boxes. And they said, sure. He says, and, and he says, we, and we want the, the ability to, for them to be reproduced, you know, we don't want, you know, so, uh, on our own, you know, so we don't have to rely on you. And they said, okay, how about we give you a, a breeding pair of animals that basically produces these things as part of their natural life cycle. And they're like, well, cool. So, you know, but they, so they take this breeding pair back and yes, they are producing dock boxes and they're getting busy with each other and they're producing more of these critters and then they're growing up and they're producing more dock boxes. Well, you know, that's a, that's a, asymptotic curve we're talking about here i'm sorry not it's the other way around it's a parabola it's you know it's going to get better and better and better as time goes on but there's a i mean there's a long ramp up and you know uh, before because you're only tar starting off with like two breeding pair or yeah. even 100 breeding pair so I, i'm saying is that most of the time when we go out when itech goes out there what they're looking for is a is the big score where yeah. they find somebody who's willing to give them something that they really, really want in quantities that really makes a difference. Well, that's why a lot of times with the Earth Primers, that's why they're finding, oh, look, here's a whole world that's nothing but a storehouse for grain or for rice or for oats. And they just say, tap this world for everything it's got. Bring trucks, bring trailers, bring, you know, whatever, and we're just going to cart, and that started the fringe convoys. Right. And so if, if we can't control the population, at least we can feed them all. We can feed some of them, because that's a, pre that's a pretty small, you know, bottleneck. You know, the fringe paths, you know. Well, yeah. And you'll want, and this, this makes the most sense if you can get one of the 
uh, other portals open, like the 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 the, the uh, uh, Kenneth Richardson, or even better, as I mentioned before, the J- Japanese Sea one, because that's open to the ocean. You can bring up cargo ships to that sucker and unload. Do you know that when they turn that on, it's going to be a, a warp sitting on a shore somewhere? Yes. But then again, the Japanese are used to building artificial islands, which work. So they'll build artificial islands so it gets out there a little bit farther. And then they'll set the dockyards and start unloading from that sucker. I mean, it's basically, it's going to become you know, a, major, a major shipyard for transshipment of this stuff. Right. But that means you're going to have these semis or whatever you want to call them ro- rolling across you know, through the portal, rolling across the Earthplane platform, and then going out to the thing. It's, it's, you know, there's still only so much that can do that. And we're talking about a world that's, you know, that has tr- billions of people on yeah, it. Yeah, and we're talking, we're talking road trains. You're not talking a single semi. You're talking Australian-style road trains. Well, even so, it's still, there's only so much that can go through. Whatever solution we have to come up, we have to, it ultimately has to be deliverable probably on Earth. But it's great if they if you they say you can find a world that literally has this by the not the metric tongue the uh, metric whatever I can't even think of what oh, the the bigger dec- numbers dec- are decaton or yeah I mean where literally you know every, every, the, the small the smallest container is the size of a of a shipping uh, uh, a boat you know I'm just not not a not a container itself but that big I mean you, you know. Basically, a, a metric. You were talking about a a, a um, uh, I'm sorry, a, a cubic, a cubic mile of grain is what you want to start bringing over to Earth. Yeah, remember th- these worlds are the first hint that there is some other way of tra- of moving around between worlds. These worlds weren't fed through the through the portals. That becomes very bloody obvious. These were fed through the big. They were basically they were pickup points for the big system. The Earth is going to be clamoring for anything they can get their hands on because as soon as you start bringing back good stuff people are going to be like they're fighting they're going to be fighting over it politically probably not militarily but they'll be fighting over it they're going to want you know uh you know they're going to say well what about you know my small piece of the pie i want my people over here taken care of you know and then someone else is going to be doing the same thing and so there's going to be a constant clamoring saying you fringeworthy people need to go out there and find us more stuff so get out there and get it. We don't care how you get it. We don't, you know, as long yeah, as so that, that, that's another reason why this prime directive won't work. You're going to have all these people on Earth Prime sitting there going, y'all are pussyfooting around being secret. Go in, say who you are, give them some shiny trinket, get the food, bring it back. Right. And that's why in the 92 edition we had that, well, what did the rich call it? The Amuse a Savage Kit. Yeah. <laughs> It even had shiny baubles, feathers, and other things. Aluminum. To, to, to quote-unquote primitive cultures to wow them, and we get stuff from them. Right. And and, if the, and once those cultures get to be about the 1800s and you hand them aluminum bowls and they go, I'm richer than the king. Yeah. I'm thinking also, but there, also there's the other things that will happen. Uh, where uh, where are the um, uh, the the... The, the, the little plant the 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 uh, the, the mobile tr- tree spores uh, 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 oh yeah you're talking about the uh, uh, the tamarind trees the Philippians 
Yeah, Brupians, that's it. Yeah, as soon as you, as soon as you get a breeding, basically, as soon as you get more than, uh, I would say you, you would need at least three different trees going in close proximity of each other on Earth Prime, they'll start producing Brupians. And then you'll start getting Tremelon trees popping up all over Earth Prime at that point. Oh, you mean in Brooklyn? Yeah, in Brooklyn. You would need at least three trees with... with what kind of what kind of crazy idea is that? A tree growing in yeah. Brooklyn? Never mind. Yeah. Well, so, what you really have to worry about is someone discovering the purple weed and, and oh, saying, you know, no, no, this would no, solve no. these problems, right? We can solve Earth's problems, right? Just take this stuff and put it down. It grows in it grows in sand. It grows on rocks. It grows anywhere. You know, and it grows fast. And it produces a completely balanced diet. Yeah, and it's worse than lotus. Is worse than Lotus, yeah. So it's yeah. like kudzu on speed, yeah. I would say the only place it probably won't grow is around the root area of, of Tremelon tree houses. They basically go, yeah, you're not coming here. I'm sure you could develop plants that would that would put out a natural herbicide against them. But you know, the point is that that's one of the things that we're going to ha- that hopefully Earth will avoid bringing back. But it's going to be really hard because people are going to be reading the reports and saying, "Wait a second, you found a grain. I'm sure we could grow this in greenhouses or something. It'd be safe. It'd be fine." And then, of course, it's going to break. Something's going to happen. It's going to break out. Cue, cue the Ian Malcolm phrase from Jurassic World. You always, you figured out that you could, you just never figured out if you should. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's just that if you bring it to Earth, it's one of the things that if you bring it the full thing to Earth, it's going to get loose, just like the oh, Jurassic yeah. Park. You made yeah. the dinosaurs, you put them on the island, and you're like, okay, fine, we got dinosaurs, they're on an island. Nothing, they'll never get off the island yet. What's <laughs> the worst that could happen, famous What's last What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, they never figure that out. They always think of something that isn't the worst, which is why the worst does happen. Yeah. Like I said, once you get three Tremelon trees growing on the island of Manhattan, and that's as close as they need to be, you'll start getting Brupians in New York City going around going, you know, boop, boop, you know, trying to find someplace they like, somebody they like to, they want to hang with. To me, the, the fact that there's going to be this huge political pressure to go and have the IDET teams produce is, is what I think is going to be the biggest problem with about them ever trying to, to do this. Because the United Nations is not a government and UNITA is more of a corporation than a government entity, their first loyalties may actually fall back to their countries of origin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. But what I'm just saying is that the only time I can see the the um, my personal opinion here, and you guys are welcome to disagree, but the only time I think that they would actually apply this is if they actually were facing some indigenous culture that's less developed than Earth. Because we're like, well, look, we don't you know, we they're not there's nothing here that we want. Okay, other than maybe those plants you were talking about. So let's preserve their culture. Let's let them grow naturally, you know. And, and even then you're going to have people say, well, why don't we tell them about, you know, uh, you know, the, the, th- you know the, the, the crop rotation for crying out loud. And th- then you get the, the Mongolians going, but they're 14th century. We can, there are people, you know, and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I'm just saying, even that, I don't, I can see how that might not work, you know. So, 
Uh, but I'm, I can see I, I, that's the only place that I can see where they might IDET might say, well, yeah, let's keep these people safe and ha- they're happy. They're all there's a whole world of P- Pacific Islanders. Let's not make them wear the uh, uh, the May Wests and the uh, what was it? It was the Mo- Mother Hubbards. Let's not make them wear the Mother Hubbards. <laughs> okay. Speaking oh, just in general, of everything that we modern culture would want to throw on them. Okay, so basically we can say that. The prime directive, as per Star Trek, is useful on a case-by-case situation, but it's generally an exception, not a normal rule. It's going to be for that world that, as I said, we might want one resource and we don't want to rock their boat. Other than that, no, we come in and... Hi, we're from we're from UNITA. We're here to help you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the reasons it works in Star Trek at all is the fact is that they are a, a basically they're a very uh, rich culture. They don't need it. Those people don't need anything. They're all well fed. They're all educated. They're all everything. I mean, there's there's no real need in in the Star Trek universe. You know, the, the, they people decide to go off and be colonists because they want to do it. It's not because you know, hey, we're going to mine this world and we need to throw a whole lot of prisoners at it. I mean, it's it, it, so they have the luxury of saying yeah. things like, "Well, we met you, and 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 so we're going to treat you know treat all your things with respect because we don't really need anything from you. We'd like you to be our friends. That's it. That's all we want." That's not IDET. Yeah, I mean, the other problem with, with a prime directive for um, for Unita and, and their teams, well, we have to address the elephant in the room, the Blizzniz and the Demixie and the Tazeel. They don't mix. They don't. They don't look like the locals. <laughs> <laughs> I w- you know, other than the Blizzniz, there wasn't an elephant in the room. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yeah. Once we contact those three races, we have people who don't look like they went through a threshing machine in China. <laughs> you know, we have people who aren't people in most people's eyes. Yeah, I don't. I really, as much as as much as respect as I have for them, I really don't think that uh, the um, uh, the creature uh, the, the 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 creature shop from uh, Henson uh, Productions is going to be able to pull these things off. No. Either either direction, because you know you find one blizzard's world. Who says you're not going to find another blizzard's world? We at least we know what we're going to run into. But what if you run into a blizzard's world where the blizzards are omnivores rather than vegetarians? Or maybe they don't have the empathic gift. Or or maybe their empathic gift is more of a push. They're dominators, not. Yeah. You know, not, not they don't make everybody feel good. They make it's everybody. Not, it's not. Please calm down. It's simmer down now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to go wandering around in a in a in a blizzness pantomime outfit. You know, uh, like a pantomime horse. When it's a pantomime blizzness. Uh Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's well, that's why the the Tamellers made the Meller. That was the whole reason. Yeah. It wasn't because they didn't, you know, they, there were places they couldn't go. There were people they couldn't contact because they could, they literally would have destroyed them just by coming into contact with them. So sure, that's what the Meller were for. And of course, that's not there anymore, except in the few cases where, you know, you have a world where you have an old Meller on it and nobody ever came through and infected it. But uh, we, we all, we know that that's a minority. So I think we're done. 
because like I said, we, we basically came, came to the, the, what I, I thought was the obvious conclusion because we've always said that there is no, um, there is no prime directive uh, for IDET and for these reasons. And, yes. uh, but, you know, but it's, it, I, I like the fact that we, tried, we looked and said, what, what would it take and what would it be like being an explorer if you actually were trying to live under the, uh, the prime directive? So that was good. So uh, thanks, guys, for uh, helping me to uh, go over this, uh, uh, reaffirming the fact that you know we're 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 telling our our player our, our GMs out there the right way of doing things. Though, of course, like I said, if, you know you're welcome to do the game any way you want to. Yeah. But, you know, but uh, if if you want it to be organic in any fashion, then you're going to have to pull you know deal with all these things. You know. Because I mean, I would, when 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 we all started playing, okay, nobody ever thought about these things. We just said, "Hey, we're gonna go through a portal and wonder what's on the other side." And 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 you ran into people, and if you saw they had a problem, you tried to help them. You hope if you found some neat technology, you brought it back to Earth. You know, it was just kind of like you know, we're just gonna. It was very organic. We're just gonna see what's there and see what we can do and help people along the way. And and that was that's the whole. Real idea of Fringeworthy. Yep. I have to say this, Bruce. I actually did play it in the Prime Director style when I first started because I had actually had finished reading H. Uh, Fiend Piper's Paratime Stories, uh, his Paratime Police, where that was the operating, that's how they operated. Total secrecy amongst the alternate worlds. They would not let you know that they are from an alternate world. So that's how I ran my games. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so yeah, so I'm actually kind of familiar with actually having players trying to figure out this, and this is also before the gifted language. So yeah, they, they took the language skill. You know, they had at least one person, I think, in the team of four I had. They spoke twelve languages. Yeah, and and, and they all and they all had linguistics, so they could spread it around. Oh, this is old, this is old yeah. school. That they had lingu- linguistics was part of the original system, John. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so yeah, and yes, yeah, so they they can learn and so forth, and yeah, and they also went. And they also, uh, I decided to give at least one of them the the uh, the the pearl in the ear, uh, the 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 the, the babble fish. That's always nice. That's always yep. nice. All right. Well, thanks guys for helping me. I hope everybody out there got something out of this, and uh, we're going to. Uh, uh, we're going to probably deal with something entirely different next week, and we hope you come back to see us because it's going to be different. And until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi. 
Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.